I want to welcome those of you who are listening to us on the web or on our app. There are two things, two of the things, I guess I should say it that way, two of the things that we value at City Church are creativity and cultural engagement. In fact, uh, listed in your program there, uh, uh, I think it's on the flap of the program, we list the rest of our core values, but we list those two values there too. We believe that God is extremely creative and that he enjoys our creativity. And then we also believe that followers of Christ are to be engaged uh, with the culture. And so to that end, for those of you who are new here, each year around the time of the Academy Awards, we do a series uh, that we call City Church at the Movies, in which we analyze a few of the movies that have been uh, nominated for Best Picture. We try to look at these movies through a redemptive grid so that we can not only uh, learn to enjoy the arts, but also to think critically uh, about them as well. We also want to understand the ideas that are influencing our culture, for better or for worse. Because as it happens, uh, artists really do tend to be uh, the barometers of the society in which we live. So last week, we looked at the movie Spotlight. This week, today, we're going to look at the movie The Revenant. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to show you a trailer from the movie. But before we do, uh, I just would like to say to uh, those of you who might have young children in the room that you might want to consider uh, putting them in our city kids ministry this morning or at least uh, maybe taking them out of the room uh, as we show the trailer. And I'll give you just a few minutes to do that uh, before we actually do uh, show the trailer. There's an old saying that many of you uh, are probably familiar with, and it goes like this. Revenge is a dish best served what? Cold. That's right. Revenge is a dish that's best served cold. The Revenant is about revenge, and the movie is served cold, brutally so. In the dead of winter, in the icy wilderness of the Great Plains in 1823. Leonardo DiCaprio. Any Leo fans in here? Yeah? I think I just heard a guy go, whoo! Okay. I mean, it's, you know, that's the way it is in our culture today, right? Leo plays a mountain man named uh, named Hugh Glass, who, uh, by the way, Hugh Glass was a real person and uh, whose life the movie is uh, inspired by. Glass had been married to a Native American, Pawnee woman, uh, years before. But their village uh, was attacked by soldiers. Glass's wife died in the attack, and their half-Native American son, whose name was Hawk, was badly burned. But Glass practically willed his son to live, telling him, You don't give up. You hear me? As long as you can still grab a breath, you fight. And that idea... To just keep breathing is one of the main themes of the movie. And when you leave the movie, when you leave the theater, it's the sound of breathing that you remember the most. Several years have passed now, and Glass and his son are leading a commercial fur expedition that is brutally attacked by a tribe of Native Americans who are seeking the kidnapped daughter of its leader, and they'll kill anyone who gets in their way. Glass and his son, Hawk, escape the attack along with some of the other fur trappers. But low on men and being hunted, the expedition leader orders that their crew return back to its base, a fort in the middle of this snowy wilderness. One of the men on the expedition named 
John Fitzgerald, or Fitz, who's played masterfully, by the way, by actor, an actor by the name of Tom Hardy. Fitzgerald disagrees with the leader about going back to the base, and the seeds of dissent are then planted. Fitz doesn't trust the leader, and he doesn't like glass at all. In the midst of the arguments over whether to keep hunting or to return, Glass is uh, he's away from the crew. He's out scouting the safest route back to the fort. And while scouting, Glass gets between a mama grizzly bear and her cubs. And in a scene in which I would tell you is one of the most stunning things that I have ever seen in a movie, the bear brutally mauls Glass. And just when you think the mauling is over, the bear comes back for more. Somehow Glass uh, survives the attack, but he is maimed and he is flayed. And when the rest of the party find him, he resembles a piece of bloody meat more than a human being. He's more dead than he is alive. He can't talk, he can't walk, but he keeps drawing breath. Ragged, painful Queezing breath. No one expects him to live long enough to make it back to the fort over 200 miles away, but the leader of the expedition is determined to carry him with them by stretcher as long as he's alive and then give him a dignified burial out in the wilderness. But the terrain is rough, the snow is falling, the going is slow, and the tribe of Reese Indians are still out there, and out of sheer necessity, the team splits up. The leader leaves Fitzgerald, he leaves Glass's son Hawk, and another young man to stay and care for Glass until he dies. But Fitzgerald is impatient. He offers to Glass to finish him off right then and there, and he asks him, what are you holding on to, Glass? Fitz tries to kill him. But Hawk interrupts, and he and Fitzgerald fight, and in the end, Fitzgerald kills Hawk while Glass can only lay there helplessly and watch. Angry and out of patience, Fitzgerald digs a shallow grave, drags Glass's barely living carcass into the grave, and he leaves him there for dead. All alone, out in the wilderness, 200 miles from safety. Let's watch the trailer. And I want you to listen as we watch the trailer for the sound of breathing. Just watch. safe thing to do is track a new course back up online. Then what we gonna do? Sit out there like a bunch of ducks. You and your half-free son get to walk on out? I'm talking to you.
proper thing to do would be to finish him off quick. He's to be cared for as long as necessary. I understand. Get away! Help! What happened? We did what we had to do. He was buried right. I spent some time this past week trying to, how many of you guys are tired just from watching that? Kind of wears you out, doesn't it? I spent some time this past week trying to think of a way to describe what watching this movie was like. And after trying a few descriptions on for size, I finally landed on this. You don't watch this movie. You experience uh, this movie. The director, Alejandro Iñárritu, doesn't allow you the luxury of just passively watching this movie. You feel the cold. You see the breath of the frozen actors, you feel Glass's pain, and you wonder at the pristine expansiveness of God's creation while at the same time recoiling at its unforgiving brutality. For 156 minutes, there is no relief. The revenant, like the land it depicts, is beautiful, it's brutal, and it's unforgiving. But if you get the impression that this movie is just Uh, full of gratuitous violence, like, say, uh, I don't know, a Quentin Tarantino movie, Uh, you have the wrong impression. This movie doesn't glorify brutality and wickedness. In fact, it exposes those things for what they are. Yes, uh, violence is part of nature. In this fallen world in which we live, nature is brutal. Animals kill each other. But what is man's excuse? That's the question that the movie is asking. The movie forces us to ask, what makes man distinguishable from beast? Now, if, you, if you've seen the movie, by the way, raise your hands if you've seen this movie so far. Okay. Uh, if you've seen this movie, you know that there are many aspects of the movie that we can analyze this morning. A lot of symbolism in this movie that is fascinating, but I don't have time to talk about all of that. So I, I just chose four things that I wanted to, uh, to make note of this morning. And the first one, I guess the best way to say it is it's sort of a meta, uh, a meta observation. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that in just a moment. Let me just tell you what it is. Here's the first thing I wanted to observe from this movie this morning. The major themes of this movie... Survival and revenge mirror the world today. The major themes of this movie, survival and revenge, mirror the world today. And that's what I mean by by a meta 
uh, observation. It's not so much an analysis of the movie itself as it is an observation on the world in which we live today. Think about it for just a moment. Whether it's terrorists seeking revenge for Western military intervention or whether it's a lone gunman somewhere that's avenging some cause and spraying bullets into a crowded room, bloodshed is everywhere in our culture because of man's desire for justice. And then uh, think about survival for just a moment. That seems to be on our minds today. Think about what you see on the news, refugees that are crowding on boats in the Mediterranean, the daily struggle of children and adults in third world countries who are just trying to find clean water and food to survive. And then, of course, there's the survival-themed TV shows like, well, Survivor would be one, or Bear Grylls Adventures, or uh, The Walking Dead. And then there's the survival movies. And in a lot of these survival movies, you'll find... Like one of the sub-genres of survival movies is where just one man fights against the odds to survive, like Castaway. You remember that movie with Tom Hanks? Uh, Buried Alive. Anybody remember that one with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds? Uh, 127 Hours with James Franco, who has to actually... Well, I won't say it, but you know what I'm talking about. Or The Martian with Matt Damon. In all of these movies, the main characters are forced to go to some extreme length all by themselves just to survive. One reviewer of The Revenant asked this question. He, you know, he wanted to know, he asked why, uh, why this survival and justice theme is so popular in our culture today. Listen to what he says. I think this is very interesting. He says, perhaps the very real possibility that a terrorist attack or mass shooting could happen anywhere at any time has us compelled by protagonists who spring into action and do what is necessary to survive. Think that's true? Maybe that's part of why we're thinking about these things as a culture today. I made the comment uh, earlier that artists are often the barometers of society. And that seems particularly true as it relates to this movie and the other movies that I mentioned earlier. If we understand this as believers in Christ, if we get the, if we get the idea that one of the main themes in our culture today are the ideas of things like, like survival and justice, if we understand that, it gives us extraordinary opportunities to spread the gospel in our world today. I want you to listen. Compared to the ideas of survival and uh, revenge, listen to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says this. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here's what he's saying. That Christianity offers a life much more meaningful than bare survival motivated by and marked by a continued downward spiral of bloodthirsty revenge. Jesus offers abundant living, life full of meaning and purpose, deep connectedness to other people, peace and joy. And if we understand that the world is longing for exactly what Jesus offers, this is a time in the history of the world of extraordinary opportunity to spread the gospel to people in our relational worlds. If we just understand that idea, okay? 
Okay, now, that's the first thing that I wanted to focus on for the movie. Here's the second thing. This is not, that first one was kind of a meta observation. Now we're going to get right into the movie. Here's the second thing. Revenge is the desire for justice gone bad. The whole thing about revenge is that it's the desire for justice gone bad. The title of this movie, The Revenant, um, that's not a term that most people today are familiar with. A Revenant um, uh, is, is a mythological, ghostly entity who returns from the dead and terrorizes the living, often with a motive of revenge. When Hugh Glass is left for dead in that shallow grave, no one would have blamed him for just staying there and dying. But as you saw just a moment ago in the movie trailer, Glass literally crawls out of the grave and he surprises everyone when he arrives at the fort some 200 miles away. It is as if he has returned from the dead. He is uh, the revenant in this movie. What is it that sustains Glass? Why does he survive? What is that Uh, What is that force, what is it that forces him to crawl out of that grave and to endure endure all of the pain and all of the hardships that nature throw his way and just to keep breathing? The director, Alejandro Iñárritu, makes it clear what that is that drives him and that sustains him. It's revenge. He said this in an interview. Listen, he says, He says, I think it's undeniable that revenge is part of human nature. We all have it. We all feel it. My problem, he says, with revenge is that I personally feel that it is an unwholesome emotion. It's it's revenge that sustains and motivates glass. Revenge against Fitzgerald for his son's killing. You... You felt that desire for revenge, haven't you? I mean, I have. Oh, my goodness. I've felt it. When people have hurt my wife, my kids, me, oh, man, I want revenge. Once when my youngest son was in, in kindergarten, he told us at dinner time, we were sitting around the dinner table, and he told us that a second grade boy was picking on him. And so I turned to my oldest son, who was in the same school with him, and I, and I said to him, find that kid tomorrow and break his kneecaps, would you? Which is when his mom intervened and said, no, that is not how we're going to handle things in our family. I wanted revenge. And whether you'll admit it or not, because you know, you're here in church, so some of you might not admit it, you know you understand those feelings of revenge. It's there. It's in all of us. And in Yaritu is right on all accounts, but specifically on the fact that revenge is part of human nature. It's actually a part of our fallen human nature. You see, here's something that I think a lot of people don't understand, and that is that evil is always and only a perversion of what is good. You see, evil can't exist without good. Evil is always just a perversion of something good. Deep within every human being is a good God-given longing for justice. We want justice. Justice is a good thing. To allow evil to run amok and to go unchecked would itself be evil, and it would leave the world in chaos. Even those who declare that God doesn't exist and that the Bible is merely a human fabrication have a sense of justice within them, which closely parallels biblical morality and is in itself actually evidence for the existence of God. Revenge 
you see, is just a perversion of that good desire for justice. Revenge says, I as a human being will be the judge, the jury, and the executioner for the person who hurt me. I will return an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Even though God says very clearly in Scripture, Romans 12, 9, He says, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Go ahead and put that up on the screen, if you would. Romans 12, 9. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And by the way, he's quoting an Old Testament passage there, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. God says, don't take revenge. Vengeance is mine, he says. And I got to tell you that watching this movie, as I sat there in the theater watching this movie, I was reminded that when the human desire for justice goes bad, when the sinful nature's lust for justice in the form of revenge is unleashed, it is a terrifying, powerful force, as powerful as the brutal wilderness and as destructive as a mountain avalanche to anyone and anything that gets in his way, in its way. That's what it's like. It's what it does to a world. It's destructive. That desire for revenge. It's powerful, but it is destructive. And that leads to the third observation that I had uh, about this movie. And that is that vengeance breeds desolation. Vengeance breeds desolation. Now, I'm I'm sorry to have to do this, um, but to review this movie well here, I have to talk about the ending. So I'm going to just tell you right now that this is a spoiler alert. So if you don't want to, like if you don't want to hear it, you know, cover your ears or something, if you don't want to hear the end of the movie, but I got to talk about it. In one of the final scenes, Hugh Glass finally comes face to face with Fitzgerald. He, you know, crawled out of the grave and he essentially crawls 200 miles back to the fort and, he, and, and Fitzgerald runs because he's, he's scared and, and finally Glass catches up to him and, and they both fight to the end in a battle that's more brutal even than the bear's mauling of Glass earlier in the movie. And at times in this fight, you're not sure who's going to win until Glass finally gets the best of him. And just before he dies, Fitzgerald says to him, and I, I can't act this out the way Tom Hardy did, so I'm just going to say the words, but you kind of interpret it as a real dramatic scene, okay? He says, he says, well, you enjoy it, Glass, because there ain't anything that will bring your boy back. Enjoy it, because there ain't anything that's going to bring your boy back. In the interview that I mentioned earlier with the director, Inyaratu said this as well. He said, The question that I wanted to explore in this film was whether revenge is hollow. If someone's whole meaning in life is about revenge, then once it's accomplished, what's the meaning of life then? What is after revenge? It leaves you empty. And most importantly, as the character finds in the end, does successful revenge bring you back what is lost? And then he says this. There's a Chinese saying that says, once you start the journey of revenge, start digging two graves. One for you and one for the enemy, end quote. One for you 
and one for the enemy. Once his revenge has been taken, the camera focuses in on glass. He's breathing heavily. There's the breathing again. He's tired from the fight. And in an ending that is one of the most haunting that I can uh, remember, Glass appears frightfully wounded. He's far from the safety of the fort. And he falls on his knees. And he sees a vision of his dead wife. And she's apparently beckoning him toward the eternal. Just die. Just die. But she turns away and she walks into the distance as he watches in utter despair. And he's alone, completely, utterly alone in this cold and brutal land. And the final shot of the movie, as I said, it's, 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 it's terribly haunting. The final shot of the movie is of Glass's eyes filling up with tears. And as he continues to just breathe heavily, he looks to the camera. He looks desperate. And the screen fades to black and the credits roll, but there's no music. You know how you would normally expect that when the credits roll that there would be music that would start? There's no music. Just the continued sound of glass. Breathing. Breathing breathing over the credits. The movie ends with a little ambiguity. Does glass live or die? My own sense is that he lives, but I'll let you interpret it however you want to interpret it. But as I, as I watched this movie, one of my favorite verses uh, from the Bible popped into my mind, and, and it's, it's, it's Proverbs uh, 14.12. And Proverbs 14.12, uh, I think, sums up the movie Uh, very well, and it goes like this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I mean, it seemed right to Hugh Glass to get revenge, but in the end, where was he? Well, you know, the word death in Scripture, it doesn't just mean physical death. It means emotional death. It means spiritual death. It means relational death. It means existential death, and that's where I believe we find glass. He's alive physically, but he is now among the walking dead. He's alone. He's breathing. But he's dead. Vengeance breeds desolation. And here's my last point. What do you do with all of this? What do you do with revenge? What do you do with this longing for vengeance? This longing for justice, but you feel it in your soul as a longing for revenge. What do you do with that? Well, here we go. My last point. Only the belief in a final judgment day is big enough to end cycles of revenge and violence. Only belief, 
Only the belief in a final judgment day is big enough to end cycles of revenge and violence. Now, critics of Christianity will certainly take issue with this point. Their argument is that if you believe in a God who judges, well, that just makes people more judgmental themselves, and then thus uh, it makes them more aggressive and violent. However, when someone believes that the creator of the universe will one day make all things right and thoroughly prosecute and punish every injustice ever committed, that person becomes less violent and less obsessed with revenge. A, a Croatian philosopher and theologian who teaches at Yale University, uh, Miroslav Volf, uh, wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And in this book, he talks about this. And you know, he talked about the fact that he himself uh, witnessed firsthand unimaginable injustice and tragedies in his home country growing up. And in his book, he says this. It's a little long what I'm going to read to you, but I think it's worth it. So just kind of hang with me on this, all right? My thesis, he says, is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. Just let that kind of sink in for a minute. My thesis is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular for many people in the West. But imagine for a moment speaking to people as I have, whose cities and villages have first been plundered, then burned, then leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their their throats slit. Your point to them as you speak is this. We should not retaliate. And he asks, why not? What will ever keep them from retaliating? I say this, he says. That the only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence thrives today, secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take up by the sword, uh, refuses to take up the sword. It takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of a thesis that human nonviolence is the, rego- is the result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, that idea will invariably die like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying if there's a God who doesn't judge, why not retaliate yourself? Why not take revenge yourself? But it's only because there is a God who judges who will make things right in the end. It's only because of that that you can leave it to him without having to take violent revenge. I, I feel the power. I mean, as I watched the movie, I got to tell you, I felt the power of Hugh Glass's desire for revenge, and I felt it in my own flesh. I feel it in my own flesh on a pretty regular basis. Yes, I absolutely do. Were someone to kill one of my children or someone were to kill my wife, I would want nothing less than their blood. But here's the truth. No measure of human retribution would be enough to repay and restore all that I lost. Such is the pricelessness of a single human life. 
The idea of an eternal judgment that is made by an ultimate authority and a judgment that lasts forever is the only thing big enough to repay and restore the eternal value of a human life that is stolen from this world. Anything less is disproportionate, you see, to the value of what is lost. We must go higher than a human court for ultimate justice. And some of you would say, well, okay, I get that. I mean, that's fine. I get that, especially if the person who hurt me uh, or hurt my loved ones isn't a Christian. Then, yeah, I get it. They're going to experience that judgment for all of eternity. I'm on board with that. But what if they are a Christian? Or what if that person later becomes a Christian? Do any of you remember the story... uh, it's a true story uh, of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Any of you guys remember that story? You know, two families in Kentucky, of course, uh, who for a generation or two kept fighting against each other because when one person would get killed, then they'd have to go and uh, they'd have to go get revenge and, and then they would kill somebody and then that per- they'd have to revenge, uh, get revenge. And so on, and and it just keeps going. And they were trapped in this dystopic cycle of revenge. What got them out of that cycle of revenge? Anybody know? Somebody said they got married? No, that's that's not what did it. One Hatfield and one McCoy became Christians. And they made up. Do you know why? Because in their lives, the cross of Christ had more weight than their bloody record. Revenge no longer drove their lives. What drove their lives was the cross of Christ. They're on the cross, the ultimate life, the life that is greater than yours or any of your loved ones, more valuable than any life that has ever lived on this planet. That life was slain by God's wrath in an act of judgment for the sins of humanity. His judgment poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. No amount of revenge will ever replace the value of what was lost to you. Only the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is great enough to do that. If you glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, you will recognize that only the death of Jesus on the cross will ever pay for the sin and the injustice that was committed against you. And so you are left with the only remaining option, and that is to forgive. Only forgiveness, born through the cross of Christ, will ever lift you and the rest of humanity out of the cycle of violence and bloodshed that just continues to permeate our world and that continues to spiral downward in our world. Immediately after uh, Hugh Glass gets his revenge against Fitzgerald, it's before that final scene. So he gets you know, the fight, he gets revenge, and there's a final scene, but there's a scene in the middle. The camera pans back after the fight. And against the beauty of the pristine snow on the banks of a gentle mountain river could be just such a beautiful scene, right? But on that pristine snow, there is a huge trail of blood from their fight that mars the beauty of God's creation. And it's a subtle reminder, at least to those of us who believe in Christ, that this isn't how the world works was supposed to be. 
Only the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is enough to bring reconciliation instead of revenge between two enemies. And forgiveness through the cross of Christ is the only thing that will bring peace to this earth. It's, that's it. Now, let me ask you something. We're going to close. Let me ask you this. Who are your enemies? Who would you exact revenge upon today if you could? Who's hurt you? Who's hurt you deeply? Who's hurt your loved ones? Who are your enemies? We're going to close this morning with a prayer that we're going to go ahead and put up on the screen. If you would, go ahead and put that up there. I'd like for you to just, uh, like for you to just meditate on this prayer for a moment, and I want to just have a time of silence, and I want you to pray this prayer to yourself. And then um, we're going to read it out loud together. But first, let's have a moment of silence. Would you say this out loud with me, this prayer? Loving God, you have reconciled us in Christ Jesus and have given us the ministry of reconciliation. We pray for all those from whom we are estranged. Bring healing to strained or broken relationships. Forgive us for the times that we have wronged others whether by ignorance, neglect, or intention. Grant us the courage and the grace to seek their forgiveness and opportunity to make amends. Where others have wronged us, grant us a gracious spirit that we might forgive even as we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Amen.